Hello everyone, I have some good and bad news. So for the good news, I was able to record an hour plus with Cameron Soren, who is a Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts expert. And we really were able to deep dive into the Aranda Roberts defense, what they did in 2021 versus our expectations for how they might change things identity wise and schematic wise for 2022. But the bad news is that the free jerry-rigged system that I was using to record audio, which messed up on the podcast that I did with Jeff Davis the other day, also had significant issues in this episode with Cameron. However, the first 20 minutes are fine. It's just after that, both of our audio really is unusable. Um, it's quite painful to listen to. So what I'm going to do is just post the first 20 minutes and then over the next week or so, because it's going to take a while, but I want to honor Cameron's time, I'm going to attempt to do um, some sort of recap summary to where I listen to the audio and put out sort of an article that goes over the important points that we talked about. But in the meantime, here are the first 20 minutes of our conversation. Uh, very, very good conversation, very elucidating. I really appreciate Cameron's time and hopefully you know, at least we were able to get the first 20 minutes again. But the good news is that I've actually purchased a real program for the future. It is not a jerry-rigged system, but it is an actual verified program so that in the future this should not happen because after I've spent, you know, five, six hours recording all this stuff and editing it and realizing that it's all messed up, it's pretty deflating. So hopefully that won't happen anymore in the future. And in the meantime, enjoy this 20 minutes with Cameron. Thanks, y'all. Sorry. This is Travis Roeder. I'm here with a special guest today, uh, Cameron Saran. That is how you say your last name, right, Cameron? Soren, actually. Oh, I should have asked you before we started recording. That's how it goes. Is that right? Do you, do you mostly get it right or wrong when most people say it for the first time? Uh, it's about 50-50. Mm, okay. Well, I guess I was on the wrong side of the coin flip there. My bad. I'm sorry, sir. But no for those of y'all that don't know, uh, Cameron really understands the Aranda Roberts defense. And, you know, while within the football community, I think everyone's kind of hesitant to call themselves an expert on anything because there's always somebody who understands something more than you do. I think it's pretty fair to say that Cameron is relatively an expert on what Aranda and Ron Roberts want to do defensively. He wrote a great article a year or two ago uh, called The Bay and the Bayou, where he really broke down the Aranda, as you call it, Cameron, the Aranda Wilcox defense, which there's kind of a bifurcation in how they do things, but a lot of their a lot of their core identity is the same. So I just wanted to talk today about, you know, I think we're going to see an identity shift from Baylor's 21 defense to Baylor's 22 defense, um, 2022 defense, and use your knowledge of what Aranda and Roberts have done in the past to kind of guide us to help us figure out and kind of prognosticate for what it might look like this upcoming season. And so I think a great first question to start with for fans is a, a lot of, you know, kind of casual or even hardcore Baylor fans uh, or even just Big 12 fans or anybody else that might be listening to this podcast know Aranda as a defensive savant. They know that he's one of the top minds in the game. And they might even know that he's kind of known for making simple things, or excuse me, sophisticated things, simple for his kids and, and kind of basic principles like that. But ultimately, what would you say is at the core of what makes an Aranda defense an Aranda defense? I would say the biggest thing is that it is really when you dig down 
to it a collection of simple ideas. Um, lots and lots of simple good ideas that when put together can create a very sophisticated defense. Um, so whereas with some coaches such as in the Nick Saban coaching tree and Rosenthal's a bit of smart and those guys, they really just like give you the whole fire hose right at the outset. Rather, by contrast to that, Aranda just goes with very simple ideas, very simple sort of instructions and things like that that can slowly build on top of each other to create a complex defense. So one of his more commonly called plays at LSU, for example, was just one, meaning cover one. And there was lots of little adjustments that were placed in there. For example, you have what's known as key, and that's where the Two safeties key the H-back, or fullback sometimes, but most of the time it's an H-back. And wherever the H-back goes, the safety to that side comes down, and then the other safety goes into the pocket. Okay, that's, that in itself is a simple idea, but then he adds another one, and then he adds another one. And so this once pretty straightforward fault actually becomes pretty complicated, but it doesn't require anybody, any individual player to, like, keep in mind 17 things at once. It's, oh, well, I just have this. I got a key on the H-back here for the safety. And then for the Mike and the Rover, they're going to be keying the running back. And the, the F is going to be keying this guy and so on and so forth. But it leads to a seemingly complex defense, at least from an offensive perspective. So that's what I would say makes the Aranda defense the defense. At least at this point. Formerly, I could say that he was ahead of the curve schematically. And he was for a really long time. But the thing is, is today, a lot of people are catching up by essentially copying his ideas. When you go brought back to, let's say, uh, we'll say 2014 in Wisconsin, almost nobody was running this. And so the fact that he was running that made him an innovative leader. And almost nobody was running a 2-4-5 as a base package at that time. And he was then. Nowadays, a lot of people have caught on to that idea and are, you know, you see tight front everywhere and you're starting to increasingly see more uh, two, four, five elements being incorporated throughout all of college football. So that sort of he's ahead of everybody else schematically is been lessened, but his ability to take that sophisticated, complicated defense and it's just broken down into very simple parts, that remains uniquely him. That remains uniquely Aranda. Yeah, I think what's interesting to think about there is, like you were saying, it's 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 like each kind of critical piece in the defense has um, an if-then kind of decision on any down. You know, if the back is this way, then I do this. If this guy releases, then I do that. But it's a matter of, you know, I think any defensive coordinator, any defensive coach can kind of think about how they would instill that in all of their separate positions, but making sure that the end product all kind of coheres in a way you want it to is kind of what puts the, the 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 icing on the cake there that the end result isn't incoherent it all it all there's kind of a synergy to it all and it all you know i i listened to an interview with cody alexander who runs the site match quarters and he had an answer where he basically said at the end of the day everything comes back to tight four and for those of y'all that don't know tight four is his um you know bread and butter standard down base down call and he was saying, you know, he can do all these complicated things and he can 
he can have all these rules for his players because at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to the stuff that they learned within the first couple of days of installs, which is unique compared to a lot of defensive coaches. Yeah, actually, uh, one of the things that makes Alonda relatively unique, I mean, there's a few other coaches, is how much time he spends on studying teaching and how people learn things and best method for instruction and things like that. Uh, there, there's been a few coaches who spend a lot of time on them, but probably at least until Bronco Mendenhall retired, he was probably in the top two in terms of how much time he spent with them. And that, all of that ties into, um, you know, essentially how he puts all this together. I'd say, I mean, it's either pipe four or under one, is the two most common calls he's had in the past let's say eight years um, in total. Um, different teams individually, you can say, oh yeah, you know, type four is definitely the, the main one, but then other years it's, it's under one. But, you know, if you're going over a long enough time scale, I'd say those are the two calls that formulate the base of the defense, largely at that, uh, throughout uh, his, most of his career. I'm going to go after uh, close Hawaii because you, you got to let go from that job. Right. <laughs> So one of the something I wanted to think about is, you know, under Matt Rule, Baylor had, you know, by 2019 they'd really kind of developed a, a really top tier defense uh, under defensive coordinator Phil Snow. But the the kind of coaching style and methods between the two guys was very opposite. Um, I think Phil Snow. I remember a quote from him when he first got to Baylor in 2017. He said uh, something along the lines of like he was basically trying to temper expectations. He was just like, look. Year one is not going to look great because before I can teach these guys defense, I have to teach them offense. Um, he you know went all in on that, and then kind of that way they could, more of the Saban style, I guess you could say, of like wanting to have an answer to every single kind of offensive play and making sure that they understood that before they worked on the defensive installs. Is it fair to say that Aranda has an opposite p- approach and where he kind of is able to distill things better for his defenders to where they don't need to go through that kind of onerous you know, full expansive offensive view to, to work on their defense? Um, I don't, wouldn't go so far as to say opposite, but there's far less of an emphasis. Um, and insofar as like, do you need to know offense, you know, in detail in order to be able to run uh, all these different calls? Absolutely not. Can it be helpful in terms of, your level of execution. Absolutely. And that's part of what they end up teaching, but it's not one of those things where they get into, I guess, great detail in terms of what the offense is doing. They sort of just start with the basics, like, uh, okay, let's let's define certain personnel groupings and how we're going to call formations and you know certain base runs and things like that. They don't get too much into the details because they don't need to. Um, but as you progress through the system and you sort of have mastery of everything that they're doing, then at that point, Aranda will start talking with his guys. Um, about, okay, now we got to start looking out for this specific route combination here because we're going to start getting a lot more of that watch for this specifically. And that, that ended up happening a lot in um, with this 2019 LSU defense, ultimately won a national championship. Because those guys had been in the system for a while. So then he was able to go to them and say, hey, uh, 
this is this is what we're likely to see a lot of of Lincoln Riley in this game. This is what we're going to see a lot of from Trevor Lawrence in terms of you know where he's going to look. Um, but it's not strictly necessary just to be able to go out and execute the assignments. And so in that sense, it's it's a little bit different from that of uh, Snow. Not to say that you know Snow's method can't work because obviously it does. It's just it's a different philosophical approach in the teaching method. Yeah, I mean, and I think especially for college kids, you know, Snow and Rule had spent a lot of time in the NFL. And um, I think for college kids, especially where the turnover rate is so much higher and you're really trying to maximize what is, you know, a two or three year stretch where these kids can really play and really be good. Um, you know, I'm kind of partial to the idea that you probably don't want to go with the method that that requires that might put even more of a time constraint on them. But as you said, it's just a, you know, kind of a preference thing. But I, I, I do remember when Aranda was hired, you know, simple can be sophisticated was kind of the, one of the first mantras that you would hear him say over and over and over again. And it's, it's been fun to see how it plays out on the field. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is a lengthy explanation or not, but it, you know, Dave Aranda has been unique in how he's been a head coach in the sense of, as a lifelong coordinator, first-time head coach, you can tell that he has gone out of his way to not be the defensive coordinator who also puts on the head coach hat. He has been head coach first, and part of that um, is hiring a longtime mentor in Ron Roberts. Um, you know, they go way back to Delta State years ago. I think it was in like 2007 or something like that. Um, yep. And you know, where Aranda was a linebackers coach under Ron, and you know, I think in hiring him, it really kind of allowed Dave to be more hands off, learn what it takes to be a head coach and let somebody else handle the defense. However, in letting Ron handle the defense, how much of a similarity versus difference really is there between their systems? Is it is it safe enough to just say it's the Aranda Roberts defense and that it's basically the exact same? I'm going to tell you is. As much as I've delved into Robert's uh, defense, it, it's essentially has different terminology, but it's pretty much the same. Um, they've got different, they, there's different words like for like a different call and thing like that, or, um, you know, a particular assignment may have a different name, but essentially it's, it's all the same. Um, the only areas where there's, I guess, any sort of significant difference uh, would only show up on third down. Um, but that is an area where, like like with most defensive coordinators, um, that can be customized and changed over from week to week anyway. So um, Roberts has had, I would say, a slightly different third down package. But when you're talking first and second down, it's virtually the same. The only difference is terminology. And that also extends to Wilcox over at Cal. If you are looking at uh, LSU uh, when Aranda was there and you're looking at ULO when Roberts was there and you're looking at Cal when Wilcox is there, first and second down, it looks virtually the same to me all across the board. Third down, different story. Uh, there's there's some differences there, but otherwise, yes, it's the same defense. Um, but that's exactly the reason why Aranda presumably hired Roberts was Right. Okay, you're just gonna be running my stuff. Go at it, Rod. Um, and and just 
I'm just going to focus on uh, what I need to do as a head coach and only when I've got a certain degree of, shall I dare say, mastery of the day-to-day in terms of being a head coach, you know, will I then start taking the opportunity to potentially step in and be a little bit more involved. But I have, you correct me if I'm wrong, I have not seen that as of yet. Um, him kind of stepping back in to kind of take control of the defense? Uh, yeah, well, stepping back in to at least act as, uh, I guess you could describe it as an editor. Yeah. I still have not seen that yet. No, yeah, uh, I, I think you're... Way. I think you're absolutely right. He is very much still kind of operating under, especially I think probably with all the NIL stuff and the changing college football landscape. And as he continues to try and kind of build his bond with the team, I suppose would be the best way to say it. I think he's very comfortable and just letting Ron do his thing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if Ron just started off his tenure dealing with COVID and then he's got the NIL stuff to deal with now. I know. Yeah. It's a little bit of a fun learning curve, not a normal normal development period not at all yeah it was a true year zero as they like to say definitely in that covid year um kind of a more particular question but the one that just came up you were you were mentioning how kind of type four versus the under one being kind of like the two main staple like base down plays and just for for any listeners um tight is the formation where you've got a true zero nose over the center and the defensive ends are playing in the four-eye spot, which just simply means they're lined up over the inside shoulders of the offensive tackles. So it's all three of those guys inside the offensive linemen. Whereas the under front, um, you've got the three-tech away from the uh, strong side of the formation. But essentially, it gives you a more true defensive end um, who's playing on that backside as a five technique. Basically, you know, you're basically sp- you're spreading things out a little bit as opposed to having more kind of head up in the dirt um power that's a very oversimplified way of staying stating it but this is audio so anyway i just wanted to say cameron uh, baylor kind of flip-flopped you know between which they would base out of those last year and towards the end of the year we saw them running a lot more under um i've been kind of trying to figure out different theories for why they were making that move i'm sure part of it had to do with the teams they were playing you know i look at the big 12 title game against oklahoma state and they were in under the vast vast majority of the time I think a big part of it is if you're familiar with Baylor's nose tackle, Apu Aika, the absolute freak, might go in the first round this next draft. I think they really liked putting him, giving him more kind of 1v1 opportunities against offensive guards as opposed to him getting double teamed there in the nose tackle. But anyway, I'm just not sure. I, I, I'm just not sure if you have any kind of theories or ideas for you know when you would favor one of those as your base down look versus others. Oh, um. So in the, I actually have a long answer to that question. So, um, so a runner for a very long time has had this adjustment from tight into what's known as an eagle front, mm-hmm. and an eagle front is similar to under, but not quite. Essentially, you've got three down linemen, and one uh, is going the weak side defensive end is going to line up in a three technique outside shoulder of the weak guard. Then the nose tackle is going to be shaded to the strong side of the center. And then the strong side defensive end lines up head up on the offensive tackle. And the reason why this eagle front adjustment exists is that uh, for certain types of um, offensive formations, um, the tight front doesn't fit the run very well. So as an example, if you get a three by one Y off, Meaning you have wide receiver, another wide receiver, and a tight end off one side. You got a wide receiver on the other, and you have the running back to the weak side, the single wide receiver side, um, 
standing next to the quarterback. Most of the time, what you're ultimately going to get is these sort of strong side directed runs, such as stretch, G lead, pen and pull, things like that. Well, if you're in a tight front in that situation, it's very difficult to uh, fit the run that way unless you bump your linebacker. But the thing, if you bump the linebackers over, then you give yourself another set of problems. For example, if the, uh, let's say the weak linebacker, the rover, uh, is supposed to be picking up the running back. If he goes out on a route, he goes out on a wheel route, and he's way over to begin with. Well, now you have problems. So the other way of dealing with it is actually to bump the front over into this eagle front um, so that you're able to handle these strong side runs uh, without actually having to move the linebacker. Uh, so that's part of it. If you're starting to get, um, the, based on the types of runs you're getting, and you don't want to have to adjust the linebackers, you bump the fronts over. And so um, that adjustment has existed for a very, very long time. Now, under has the additional component of placing either a defensive end or a stand-up outside linebacker, um, most of the time outside linebacker with Rolando. So, yes, unfortunately, that is where the recording comes to an end. As I said, I still have access to the broken audio and will do my best to transcribe it or turn it into some sort of article within the next week. Cameron had a lot of great stuff to say, as you could tell just from this first 20 minutes. So thank you all for listening. I'm sorry for this abbreviated episode, but again, now that I've purchased an actual program, this should hopefully never happen again. Thank you all for listening. See you all next time.